Hello, welcome to The Digestive, where we discuss what's going on around the world. My name's Zara. And my name's Sam. So grab a cuppa and a digestive and join us today while we speak to Isabel Sachs, who has over 12 years of experience as a project manager and has worked for numerous companies. To name just a few, she's worked for Levi's, Converse, Lipton and Red Bull. And to top it off, she's even created and sold an award-winning cultural agency based in Brazil, producing over 50 events a year, including international tours, managing artists and a theatre company. And if she wasn't impressive enough, Isabel is now the founder of I Like Networking, a platform which aims to support women and non-binary professionals looking for a career in the creative and cultural industry, as well as help those in the field who feel stuck. Isabel is joining us today to speak about graduation anxiety and give advice to those wanting to get started or progress in the industry. But before diving into it, me and Sam would like to talk about our own graduation anxiety. As for both of us, we literally only have just a few months of uni left, although I'm sure Sam is destined for success after the week he's had. So Sam, <laughs> tell us what you've been up to. Uh, yeah, well, I've had quite a, quite a week. Uh, I mean, I'm still, I'm, it's still going on. Um, so I've, um, I'm interning actually right now at uh, My London, which, um, you know, it's focused on London mostly. And it is different because I've interned at Base Digital and the Sunday Times magazine and both in their newsroom or at least with their editorial you know team in their offices and now I'm doing it from home and it's so different but at the same time um, you know I get much more out of it like I've been as I've published about five pieces of mine already um, and you know it I mean, it's been great. It's been quite challenging because, you know, I want to make a good impression because hopefully at the end of it, you know, I, you never know. You could always, you know, land a job or land, um, you know, a longer internship which would be paid or anything. I think, you know, especially in, you know, the time we are now, um, trying and find a job, um, a, a writing gig mostly, it's quite challenging. Um, but yeah, uh, that's been quite a, <laughs> quite a week uh, managing that plus, you know, my full-time job aside. But yeah, it's been quite a hectic week. What about you? Well, this week I've kind of just been stuck in exams. I wish I sort of had time to look at placements and things. I did have one with the Press Association and it was a remote placement too. Remote placements for me kind of confuse me because I feel like they're a bit more... Um, kind of like chaotic so I've had like a placements before and when I've sort of like done the work that they've given me I've always like kind of just gone up to them and be like is there anything else that I can do but in a remote placement I don't know what it was like in yours because yours sounds amazing like five pieces published well but like for me and my placement my remote one when I kind of like emailed asking if there was anything to do it was kind of like a delay of them getting back to me so there was like a long period of time where I just kind of wasn't writing any yeah. stories and I was just sat there which I think like if it wasn't remote that wouldn't have happened because obviously I could have gone up to them but like I'm still thankful for the opportunity and obviously it's nice that especially for journalists like us in our third year and we're so anxious about like um graduating soon and oh, we're yeah. thinking we need experience it's so good that they're able to like accommodate us in these times and offer these remote placements 
Yeah, no, I think it's been great. And, you know, talking about, you know, applying to stuff like the past two weeks, I don't know what happened, but I've had like a, you know, a gain of, I don't know what it is, but I've been applying to so many different things. I even landed, um, which I think was quite cool. It was my first time having an interview, you know, for a news reporter job. And well, although I didn't get the job, um, I think I got, I had great feedback because um, the editor who interviewed me, she said it was a brilliant interview, but I'm lacking experience. And that's why I was trying as much as possible to get an internship with a, you know, a new production, a publication, because that's what I need and that's what I want. So, you know, having the internship with my London has been just perfect. I wish it had been, you know, earlier because maybe would have, I would have landed the Express News Reporter job. Yeah. But she even said, you know, she would pass on my uh, CV to one of her colleagues who's looking for someone else. So, yeah, I mean, just now I'm just waiting to hear back um, from various <laughs> fellowships that I've applied <laughs> for. Um, and I hope I, I, I get something. But, yeah. So going out of your sort of degree, like what sort of journalism jobs are you interested in? Because for me, like, because so many people are always like, oh, what type of journalist do you want to be, Sarah? And I literally just can't put my finger on like one certain topic or like one certain type of journalist I want to be. I feel you 100% because like a lot of my classmates, they're all saying, oh, I'm going to be a lifestyle journalist or I'm going to focus on beauty journalism or, you know, and I don't. That's one of the main reasons I decided to not be specific in my degree and do, you know, like a journalism course and not fashion journalism or, you know, magazine journalism, because I really wanted to be able to, you know, move across different fields and areas in journalism as much as I want to, because, you know, as a journalist, to me, you, you kind of have to be able to be manual and, you know, adapt quickly to whatever comes at you. Um, but also, I do, I do love investigation, and I want to be an investigative journalist. That's my main, you know, that's my dream. I want to be able to, you know, do my investigation and then turn that, turn those investigation into documentaries, because I want to work in broadcast. Uh, but I think um, I'd love to start as a news reporter because to me, there's nothing better than you know. Because as a news reporter, you do a bit of everything. You know, you don't know what news is going to come at you. It can be tech, it can be, you know, um, politics, it can be, you know, um, geopolitics, climate change, uh, whatever comes at you. So I think it kind of, you know, builds you up as a journalist and gives you all the tools you need to then be more specific in a specific area. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to be a news reporter to start with. What about you? Are you... Well, so I sort of want to go into digital journalism. So to be honest, whenever anyone asks me, I always just say literally anything but first, because like I hate to say it, but like, you know, like print is dying. But, you know, so I kind of want to just go into sort of digital journalism more like I do like broadcast, but just because of coronavirus, my teaching had been cut off so I don't really feel that confident with like using the equipment and stuff and I'm kind of scared to apply to a job where I like I don't feel that confident so for me it's kind of just like writing online and um 
another thing I'm sort of interested in and my like the employability people in my department have suggested like especially for journalists and to be honest like in a lot of courses I feel like in a lot of degrees you do you you can um use this and it's social media so like obviously there's so many jobs now for like social media assistants um marketing and things like that and obviously like our sort of generation we're all born in the digital age you know we've all like social media oh yeah we are (laughs) yeah it's literally like breathing to us like I can tweet with my eyes shut uh post on Instagram like I know how to attract followers and things so that's sort of another skill that I'm sort of trying to utilize so in my free time I work for like this charity called Mems in Need where I volunteer for them and um, I just kind of keep all their social media sort of like tidy. I've recently like created a blog for them and I'm just mm. um, promoting like posts and stuff. They have a charity to do with like domestic violence and emotional abuse. So sort of like posting stories about that, about other people's experiences and as well as sort of speaking to like coaches and stuff about like self-care and things and putting that on the blog and online. Um, so that's kind of like my backup plan so I'm applying for journalism jobs and then I have this sort of like social media venture as a backup but then at the same time I'm kind of like fancying like a year out just because I feel like university like especially with COVID and stuff it's just been like non-stop stress every day and I'm like maybe I just want like a little like cute little bar job and you know just to save some money and like be able to go home from my job and just not have to worry about anything or like do any more work like just be able to like sit there no yeah completely because also I think it's something that's worth pointing out you know journalists our job is 24 7 even though we may have you know offices you know office hours let's say I don't know eight to five um it's a constant job because we keep looking at the news. We, well, obviously it depends on what sort of journalism you do. Uh, but I know that I just can't log off. Like my mind is always on. And that's why, like to me, um, I'm in that, you know, I'm at that stage where obviously I still have uni, but it's not my priority anymore. I just want to work. I just want to be able to, you know, do what I need to do because now I feel like this year I haven't learned much from uni. It's been more like, you know, applying everything I've learned. So we had to run a website for four months where I was editor. So, you know, I got used to everything. Um, So you run whole websites. I feel like I could run my own business, you know, have my own journalists working, you know, in different sections, all of that. So, um, but again, we're gonna go out, you know, finishing uni this year. And for most publication, we have no experience unless, you know, we've been lucky enough to, you know, have a part-time job as journalist uh, while studying, which isn't very much the case. Um, what the, the most we get is internship, which more, more, you know, more often are unpaid internship. And I think that's one of the issues. I think that's why, you know, if I could, I would volunteer to so many different platforms, even charities. But as a student who, you know, live by myself, I mean, I don't have my parents' support. So I do need to work. And to me, you know, volunteering is such a dream, but it's not something feasible. So that's why I always admire people who find the time to do it because I wish I could. 
I agree. It is so hard to kind of fit time in. Like I've literally had two exams today and then literally I kind of just passed out on my desk and I literally woke up like 20 minutes before to like a message from you. And I was like, I've <laughs> fell asleep. Um, Cause I feel like, and I've heard this quote a lot actually, but if you want to be a journalist, it's sort of like you kind of have to like live and breathe journalism. There really isn't a day off because obviously in the world, there's always going to be news. There's always going to be something going on. Even in the pandemic, you know, you can find crazy stories and crazy things happening every day. So you do kind of just not get a rest. There isn't enough hours in the day. Well, I'm not very anxious about, you know, graduating. I think we have lost a year. And I do think, you know, we've wasted a lot of money for very little support. And, you know, what's happened, and I think I see it from every student or most students uh, on social media everywhere, is that, you know, lecturers in whichever universities you are, you know, they expect more from you or they expect, you know, the same quality of work that you would have done if you would have had access to the library, access to, you know, all the um, equipment while we're, you know, sitting at home. Um, and, you know, for us, like for me, sitting at home, studying, working is 24-7 in my bedroom then. I breathe and leave on my desk in my bedroom and I'm tired and, you know, I'm fed up of seeing my bedroom. To be fair, during lockdown, since the pandemic started, students have been left out of the, you know, of the equation. Like, we're, we're just so far away from the talk, um, which, is a, which is a shame, really. Uh, but what I'm most anxious about is not so much about graduating because I do want to finish my studies now. Uh, it's more that I've, I've realised... Um, my course is not NCTJ accredited, which means, and that's something, when I spoke to that, to, to my university, and I, you know, asked while we went doing shorthand and learning about all of this, they were like, oh, you don't need to, you know, the digital world now. And I'm like, well, you know, whenever I want to apply for a job, even if it's entry level, they ask for this like accreditation. And that's something I'm so, so pissed about. I'm not, you know, I have a part of not trying to find out about it. But as a foreigner, someone who comes from a different country where, you know, you don't even have journalism at university. You have to get a degree first in any field and then go to a private school to be a journalist. And it's so selective. Um, that's why journalism is so bad in France. Um, it's very much like, you know, what privilege to get in the school because they can afford it. Got here, to me, I was like, oh, I'm going to study journalism. I don't need to waste three times, you know, three years of my life doing something I'm not interested in to then get, a, uh, you know, my diploma in journalism. And um, that's all I thought I needed. And now realizing, you know, getting close to, you know, applying for jobs and all of that, I'm like, oh, Okay, what I'm going to try and do is get half of my fees back for this year and pay, pay my uh, accreditation, my NCTJ qualification with that. My course is NCTJ accredited. And I remember I used to, I used to hate shorthand. I still do, but I'm going to have to do it. Um, <laughs> so I had this internship at Daily Mirror and I literally made it my duty to ask every single person in the office, in the newsroom, um, do you have shorthand? Do you have NCTJ? Is it important? 
And these are these are people working in Daily Mirror now, and they were quite ordered. There was no one in their twenties; they were all in their thirties, forties. They had sort of like worked their way up to like get to this career. It was like some giant building in Canary Wharf, and um, none of them had done CTJ. And they were like, "You don't really need it unless you're going into court reporting." Now, uh, welcome, um, Isabel, and um, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, new episode. Quickly, just sum up in two sentences, just who you are and what your job is. Yes, my name is Isabel Sachs. I am a project manager, producer in the creative industries, but also the founder of I Like Networking which is a mentoring and networking initiative for women and non-binary people in the creative industries. Brilliant. So tell us what it was like for you graduating, because you graduated from your master's in 2015, didn't you? So that yes. was like five or six years ago. So how did you go from that to sort of where you are now, sort of running and finding your own business? So I, it was very hard for me. I'm originally from Brazil. I moved to London in 2014. I had my own company, so I had a label and a talent agency in Brazil that was doing very well. I came to London for a break uh, to study, then decided to try and make it here. But obviously, I had been the owner of my own company for a while, and I never actually had a CV, or I've never heard of a cover letter in my life. So I graduated my master's, and I was like, right, now I'm going to get a job. And I was all up on my high horse, like, oh, I have all the skills. I did all this amazing stuff. Everybody's going to want me. And then I realized that no one even replied to my emails and I didn't know what to do with this cover letter stuff. And I kind of spent three months in like full on dread. I mean, like, what have I done with my life? Right. So during my master's, because uh, I was able to study full time. I did two placements, uh, which for me were already like, I can't believe I'm back to interning for free, you know, but I was enjoying the process of getting to understand how things operated in the UK. It's very different than Brazil, like very, very different. So there was a lot to learn, which kept me kind of sort of engaged. But then, yeah, the process of that to getting a job was hard I mean I felt in despair many many times you know but somehow I persisted (laughs) Um, actually one of the people that I did the placement for had introduced me to someone which led me to get then an interview at a place which got me my first full-time job in the UK which gave me my first big chance which is why I'm so passionate about network because I think it's so important to have people like who are vouching for you and are able to kind of introduce you to someone and take a chance because London in particularly is crazy competitive, right? Like in the, in Brazil, I was like, well, I speak three languages here. Almost every, there's so many foreigners like me, like, well, three languages, everyone here speaks five, you know, like there's no, I felt like I was competing in a much deeper sort of pool, basically. 
um, as um, you know, as a foreigner, because I'm foreigner myself, I'm not from England. Um, how, you know, how did you feel when you got here? What was your first, you know, you first, obviously you had to study and, you know, it's a complete different system, which I realized as well because I'm studying, but also, you know, the process of, you know, in your head, what was it like? Was it like, oh, I'm never going to be able to make it because I'm not British or, you know, my English is not perfect or I don't know. What was your thought process? So, yeah, I don't know. I can be quite optimistic or dumb. I don't know. People tell me, you can tell me, but <laughs> I have this backstory with the UK in that when I was 14, I came to London to visit with my mom. It was horrible. We were here for three days. We did all the tourist stuff. It was raining for three days straight. And for some reason, I remember taking the tube and seeing this lady that was like super posh, had like a big Louis Vuitton bag, sitting in the tube next to this person who had like a huge like pink mohawk. And I was like, this is the coolest city ever. And uh, I was very into like rock. And then I got into the like electronic music scene for a while. And obviously like Camden was a thing at the time. So I was like, this is the place I want to live here. And I don't know, I fell in love with the vibe in the city. So at 16 in Brazil, you can go and apply to do an exchange program where a host family takes care of you for a few months so that you learn a new language. So I have, fam I have a very crazy family. I have lots of passports. My family is very international. So I grew up speaking and listening to more than one language. So to be honest, when I was 16, my English was pretty okay considering that I'm a foreigner and so I tried to convince my parents about this and my dad's like you already speak English like why and I was like no and I want to go to London and I was a bit of a party animal and my dad was like there's no way I'm sending you at 16 <laughs> like a crazy little monster to London on your own so it all turned out that I that I enrolled in this program and they set you up with the host family you can choose the country you want to go to, but you do not get to choose the city, okay? Oh. That's the catch. Someone needs to choose you. Uh, so then someone decided to choose me for their home, and it was in Kendall, which is in the Lake District. And as a comparison, I come from Sao Paulo. There's 20 million people. When I arrived in Kendall, there were 20,000 people. And I was like, again like why did I make this decision this is clearly not that close because in my mind I was like it doesn't matter like the UK is tiny anywhere I'll be close to London it's not it's no. not that close okay uh but everyone kept telling me like oh my god you're gonna have a horrible experience it's gonna make fun of you you're gonna be the only Brazilian but I don't know I was 16 I wanted to come to London I didn't know better and I actually had an incredible experience. I'm still close to most people there. They all came, all of my friends from Kendall came to my wedding party. Oh, that's nice. Uh, so they were actually like, I don't know if it's because, I don't know if it's because it was, it was the people that I met or like the, it's a smaller town, but people just took me in, you know, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make the most of it. And I did manage to escape to London every month, which was awesome. And yeah, I did as much as I could at the time, considering that obviously I had a student income. But 
So when I came to London to study, to do my master's, I was like, this is it. It's going to be great. It's going to be just like Kendo, except that Kendo has like zero people in it. And like, I don't know, freaking castles and rocks everywhere and cows. And London is insane, right? So pretty fast I fell from my horse of like, oh, this is going to be such a welcoming experience. Not, not really, you know. Everything was harder. The like how to open the bank account, the documents, all the new like bureaucracies that you have to get acquainted with, the way people operate. I think, yeah, it was a big shock, but it took a while for the shock because it, at the first six months, I was like, oh my God, I'm in London. There's like all the concerts you ever want to go. All the, like, cause I, I don't know where you're from, Sam, but I like in Brazil, it's hard for, pe- for things to arrive over there because it's crazy far it's expensive so like of course there's like the rolling stones and paul mccartney that come but like more (laughs) potentially like alternative sort of stuff that's super common here because they travel around europe in terms of culture not as common right so you wait like five years for the david bowie exhibition to arrive or something so i felt really in a way excited about being here but then yeah I it quickly all came crashing down and I did realize that that what I did in my first life in Brazil kind of almost didn't matter like it didn't translate when I was telling uh, recruiters or whatever in my cover letters like it wasn't it was not that easy I think to translate your experience in a way that people will definitely understand what you're about So at least that was my experience. Obviously, that's a very specific industry and so on. But that's how I felt. More that than the language per se. I think people were quite um, forgiving with mistakes like that. You know, when you're saying on like on an interview or something, I think as long as you can actually, like I wasn't applying to be an editor, right? So, or I don't know, a copywriter. So that's pretty... I mean, on that case, I feel like they would be a little more judgmental, right? But it wasn't that bad as long as I could communicate properly, I think. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned networking, but then you've also mentioned sort of how different you kind of felt in London, even though you felt excited to be there. So how did you kind of start networking with people? Because even for me, I'm from the UK, but I kind of get shy and feel like intimidated sort of approaching certain people in my industry, just because I'm scared that I'm going to come come out like kind of unprofessional or sound stupid. So how did you sort of kind of overcome sort of that fear of feeling different and start networking? So I, okay, so I don't know. First of all, I, I, don't know if this is part of my personality or my culture. You guys get to choose, but I am a lot more comfortable just coming to say to people, you know, like for instance, I'll always hug someone, which is not obviously now because of COVID, but I'm the person who goes and goes for a hug or goes for a kiss. And multiple times I've been like confronted with like a head, like, no, no, we don't do this here. Just don't go kissing people, like those things. But I'm not that, I don't know, I just decided that I was here and I was going to make the most of it. So the first thing that I did was message a bunch of people that I knew in Brazil. Like I asked my mom to ask her friends. I told my friends if they knew friends here. I was like, guys, I'm in London. I want to find a job here in the art sector. Does anyone know anyone? Like anyone. And surprisingly, someone always knows someone who knows someone. Okay. So I think (laughs) the first thing we need to like 
think about when you think about networking is that you might not think that you do have contacts, but someone that you know knows someone who might know someone, you know? And I actually did go on meetings and coffees with like tons of people. I had also worked a little bit internationally while I was in Brazil. So I had one or two business contacts here and I did like kind of pester them a bit, not pester, but I emailed and I was like, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm here doing my master's and love to speak to you just to better understand the, the, you know, how the industry operates. If I want to get a job here, what are the best tips? So I went for it. I think most often than not, people tend to want to help you. I think the most important thing is that you have a very clear ask for someone and that it's very yes or no. It's like, can you have a coffee with me so I understand what the deal is? Can you have a coffee with me to look at my CV and tell me where I'm going wrong? You know, any of those things. And then I was lucky, as I said, or privileged that I was able to pay for my life in London during my master's, which is a big, big thing. And I took the chance to do a few of these placements and internships that the university kind of supported. So you could count it, it counted towards some of your credits. Uh, and it was hard to get the inter even the internships. But again, I was talking to people, people were talking to me and telling me where to go, what to say, etc. Um, obviously, I, I had to go through the interviews and the process myself, but it helped to have one or two people kind of signposting things. And I think I tried my best to make connections, like authentic connections, like with people there. And I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised that one or two people at those spaces were people that in the end, after I left, I was like, can I send you my cover letter? Can you keep me posted if you think of anything? Can you introduce me to anyone? And that actually helped, but you kind of, I think, need to go for it a bit because other, no one is going to know how to help you if you don't ask. Like, you really have to advocate for yourself. And I don't see any, like, shame in doing that. You know, I was new here. I didn't know people. And it was just, I'm more than happy when someone is new here and asks me the same things. I'm like, yes. You know, which is why I said, partly why I set up I like networking is because so many people are always complaining about that, you know, and I bet that if you drop a person from Kendall in the middle of Sao Paulo, they're also potentially going to cry. They, you know, they'll be like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, how do I do anything? Like, yeah. it's the same, right? Anywhere you go, I think there is a learning curve. Like, there's a phase of adaptation. It is just that much easier and more efficient and better for your life and your mental health but probably when you have a few allies in the process so I just really went for it and I like one contact that was the most useful and it's someone it led me to someone that's like one of my closest friends in the UK and actually works and helps me a lot with I like networking is someone that I met exactly like that. My mother had a friend who knew a person who knew someone here in London. So like four degrees separate. Sent this person an email who then sent someone an email and I went for a coffee with them. And she had a friend having coffee with her who knew this person in a museum in London. And she's like, you should go talk to her. And I went, you know, I was like, yes, I'll talk to anyone. You just give me an email, I'll make it happen, you know? And... Uh, the last bit of advice that was actually from my dissertation advisor. I'm, 
a very indecisive person in many things. I literally, one of the main, I became vegan, like plant-based, whatever you call it, because I hate choosing food. Like, so I love, I love love going to a restaurant that's not vegan and there's only one dish. It's like my favorite sort of restaurant. It's like, great. It's, it's sorted. I don't need to think about it. It's like one last thing. Like I go to a restaurant that's not vegan. There's one or two dishes and that's it. It's like not too much worry about it. I don't know. It's, it's a crazy thing. You could cut that if you want, but. Oh God, I'm very indecisive as well. So. You know, when it comes to, like, for example, my boyfriend, when he's like, oh, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? I'm like, I don't know, choose. What do you want to watch? Choose. I can't, I, I just feel like I, I would force someone to do something that they might not want to do or yeah. eat something that they might, you know. Um, but um, so I, I want to ask, uh, because, you know, you do, um, you know, your platform, I Like Networking, uh, kind of give a, a focus on women and non-binary people. Yes. Why do you think, why was it important for you to kind of, you know, support those? Um, well, I, yeah, so I, it, it was set up during the first lockdown, right? So I lost my job because I was working in music festivals. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, on a freelance contract. Oh, so God, great, yeah, no. Great, great <laughs> life know, choice. Yeah, you know what life. freelance work is <laughs> as journalists. Uh, when, uh... Yeah, exactly. So I was doing this great music festivals and then no more music festivals, no more work. No one had, had a job anymore. Lost my job in the middle of April. Was really depressed for two weeks watching Netflix, the whole shebang. Then I got really sick of it, of not doing anything. And I was just like, my LinkedIn felt like like a, a job cemetery, you know, like every day it was just like, I lost my job. I lost my job. Like it was just disaster after disaster and people were freaking out. And I was like, well, this must be something that I can do, you know, because yes, I also lost my job, but I had contacts. I had one or two freelance gigs coming my way at this point. I've had, you know, nearly 15 years of experience in the industry you know, I have savings. I'm in a different situation than if I would have started right now, right? So I felt like it was almost like a responsibility. And it always bugged me that at some point throughout my career, I saw either women being mistreated or pushed away when they wanted to get a family, you know, not considered for promotions, all that stuff. But, and, and then I was like, you know, I, sh- I could just do something for women because the people who were complaining to me about the lack of progression in their careers were all women, right? But I actually am very close to a lot of those, like, I don't know, I don't know the right words to use, but, you know, I have been in close contact because I work in the creative industry with especially, so a lot of my friends are from the LGBT you plus uh, I, yeah. I, I always LGBTQ plus community <laughs> and I think I didn't want I, I chose those words because I throughout my career whenever I saw someone who was either non-binary even though at that time people did not identify like that clearly there was not enough yeah. language for that or just slightly different in the gender spectrum I guess there was a lot of backlash and so that's something I wanted to provide some support. The, it's basically, I've, it's really open in that like interpretation. I think most women, and by that I mean anyone who identifies as a woman in any way, 
you know, in any f- format or like spectrum, yeah. whatever. So it's open for interpretation. If you want to be in part of that community and you think that's up to you, like totally fine. There is no barrier. We just think that no offense um, to the guys out there, but <laughs> there's plenty of white guys already dominating every single sector. So I didn't feel like I had to open a space for them. And the issue is that the, the things that most people were complaining to me about were a lot of things that a lot of women go through, you know, which is the pregnancy and the family stuff that often relies a lot more on women. The, you know, there's lots of single moms, the people who are caretakers, etc. So those are issues that I felt kind of more women than, than men ever com- com- like complained about for me. And then obviously there's the lack of the, there's the gender inequality or disparity, whatever you want to call it in the sector, right? I only talk about the, the creative industry because the only one I know. So, but, so that's why I wanted to do it in that way. I want the language to be as inclusive as possible. And I'm pretty sure throughout my journey, it's going to change and evolve and we're going to make mistakes, but it's just an attempt to make sure that if anyone, you know, kind of identifies with any of those aspects and that's where they need support, they can come in. So I, mm-hmm. I, I there was some question about if people preferred if I use women with an X or women and non-binary, like, because then you don't exclude people who don't identify as she and her. So that's in the end what people told me, I feel like that's best. So for now, that's what it's called, but it might evolve and change. Yeah, I do think um, it is getting better with time. So I like interviewed a journalist the other day, but she was like in her 30s, she'd been in it for quite a while. And she was like really, really shocked when, when she spoke to me. And she was like, you're a student journalist and you're a girl. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, most people on my course are, are female. There's only a few guys on my course, but there's a lot, I think there's a lot more women on my course. And she was so shocked because she was like, when I entered the newsroom, I was the only woman. And now there's so many. And hopefully non-binary people and people who weren't necessarily born a woman, but identify as a woman will sort of be able to get that representation in journalism soon because I haven't really seen that myself and um, but for you so obviously you've had quite a lot of experience in networking and sort of employability you've been working for a few years now what would your advice be to student journalists like me and Sam who are graduating in a few months obviously because of this pandemic don't really have a clue what we're doing what would your advice sort of be to us for us to try and get started in our industry So number one is build a support system. It doesn't have to be industry experts, just people that you can rely on for anything. I think it's very important to have support from from others at this time. I with the pandemic, it's only gonna get more stressful. I'm sorry to say that the sector is already super difficult, but you can't despair, although you will at times, you know. I think that's to be expected. <laughs> so when you do this pair, it's important that you have people to back you up and to support you. And I think it's key to have someone that you can get feedback from, you know? So it's a lot of, it's almost like dating in a way because it has to be a good fit for you and the employer. It's not always going to be like that. So my one advice is to persist in it, but also adapt. So if something is not working, 
Like if you send this, a similar cover letter 10 times and it didn't work, stop, like reset, do one cover letter, you know, like talk to someone. Another thing is to get in touch with people that you potentially want to work with to understand what is it that they're actually looking for, et cetera, so that you have a better understanding and you start building those relationships. Uh, I guess it's important for you to also kind of really personalize what you're doing in terms of applications for jobs specifically and just really take care of yourself. But also I'd say if you're just graduating and you're not finding the perfect job, I wouldn't fret too much. I would try to find potential, like you can always do other jobs that will strengthen your skills and your employability in other ways. You know, it's like most jobs just need common sense and organized people. So if you can get other gigs that help you, you know, to say that you know how to do this or that or copywriting or editing or et cetera, that can also help. And you can definitely always cultivate any passion or side hustle on the side if that's something you want to do to build your profile. Like we've had, like Molly, she's an independent creator. She started a platform called She Curates, which is about highlighting female artists that she liked. And the platform grew a lot and because of that she grew, she got a she got a job, you know, and she expanded her profile. I think it really has a balance. I mean, I don't want anyone to keep working for free forever. But also if anyone needs any, there's also lots of resources out there, like journal resources, like uh, lots of newsletters, the freelance sessions. There's a lot of like specific communities as well for journalists that I know of that are there to have support. And if anyone ever wants to reach out to us on I Like Networking, you can also do that. And it's also a very supportive, uh, inclusive place for anyone. Yeah. And find your people, find a support system because it is hard, you know, AF. And you have to keep at it because eventually things will turn out well i mean yeah. at least we all hope so and the last thing is if the perfect job doesn't exist and you can create your own job just do it you know like when i was growing in the industry the first time it was all very small organizations and i couldn't progress anywhere so i just quit and created my own you know i know that's not an option for everyone but sometimes it is you know just putting the idea out there like that's also something that you can do absolutely yeah but um, also, which I think is something a lot of us students are wondering, you know, when when we get to graduate um, and we do apply to, you know, many different jobs just because we saw the spirit that we just want to learn something, um, what would you say? Because there are jobs where I know myself, I wouldn't put myself there. Even though they would come to me, I would refuse it. But again, it's me personally. What would you say to those people who feel like me? You know, like, is it is it a bad thing? Is it something we shouldn't do and then just, you know, welcome the opportunity, I guess? No, I think you were the best judge of what's a good fit for you. And I wouldn't advise people to get a job just for the sake of job unless you have if you if you have the option of not doing it. I think a lot of times when we get into despair mode and we start accepting anything that comes our way, that can be the wrong decision. So it's good to have, I know it's really difficult to do that. And I'm super guilty of not doing what I'm saying. Okay. 
but <laughs> that's why it's good to have people to check in on you. So when you're going to despair mode and you're applying for anything and you're at the point of like, I'll oh, just accept this, whatever, having someone be like, okay, let's figure out, is this really what you want your first move to be? Because sometimes what you need to do is take a breather, go for a walk, don't look at your computer, don't do any applications that day, you know, because I know that applying for jobs is a full-time job in itself. And just yeah. don't, like, just switch your tactic, you know, spend one day connecting with people that you care about in the industry. Spend, like, one day talking to your friends. Spend one day offering to support three, I don't know, like, charities on their, like, copywriting or whatever. Like, just go do something else. And flip the idea of the networking on its head so that like you can do other things, you know, like remember that you have so much to offer, you know, and then when you start thinking about that, you can always make new connections and you will see that there will be people that will come to you, you know, but again, you have to be able to advocate for yourself. I feel like that's key in every aspect of your life. We live in a really brutal world and no one's going to advocate for you. So you might as well start doing it now. So I wouldn't tell you to do that because I wouldn't have either. I feel like if you feel that gut feeling, just don't do it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a great tip. And I think, you know, as we're approaching, I mean, we're still, we're all going through, you know, hard times, especially during a pandemic. Um, And this is very well needed tips that I think, most students will benefit from and it's not every day that we get you know that we get support or good tips so it's good thank you so much we have a mentoring program which is free it's by application because we don't have like 100 spots but we do have lots of mentors in publishing and journalism uh, because i know it's a very needed area and the applications are going to open again in march if that's something anyone's interested, just uh, come and apply. Cool. We'll advertise it on our social media as well. Okay. So, yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Zara. It was really lovely to have you guys. Well, to have you, to speak to you guys. <laughs> well, it was, it was you know, super it's... confused. <laughs> I always say that at the end of our events. Sorry. Bad no, habit. That's fine. <laughs> Event producer You're habit. taking on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's absolutely yours and again. But really, thank you so much. It was really lovely and I wish you all the best. All right, guys. Well, um, I think we've learned a lot today. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us at The Digestive. And also follow us on Twitter to keep an eye out for dates. We will post um, a lot more about I Like Networking. Um, and also our username is at The Digestive. We hope you have enjoyed listening to us and we'll see you very soon. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye.